Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part three of an interview we did with Cindy Martin, one of my Click That Teaches coaches. Cindy is a gold mine of information. When I say that this podcast is about all things equine, Cindy is proof of that. In part one, we focused in on foot care. And last week, we began a discussion of Cushing's disease. That took us to hay analysis and a general discussion of nutrition, and then on to different strategies for feeding hay throughout a 24-hour cycle. And that brought us to Dominique's next question. How do you handle multiple horses, especially when multiple clicker-trained horses are all eager to work for you and they all want to get through the pasture gate to come and play with you? That's where we're going to jump in, in this week's conversation. Yeah, so food and training. We all want our horses to eat in a relaxed, calm environment. I think that's also part of a healthy meal. And sometimes it's difficult to do in a herd. And so there are different options that people have. I mean, one of them uh, for me has been when I had my own place that I would teach the horses where the, um, what do you call that in English, la gamelle, the, 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 the top, the feet top would go. It would always go the same place in the same order. And it wouldn't take very long if all the employees were doing exactly the same thing, that the horses would all go to their place and wait for the tub and there would be no bullying and nothing of the sort. We would, we would stay with them to make sure that no one would eat someone else's ration. So that's been one way of doing it. And you were in small groups when the horses they were, were. Yeah, that was a, a small group. Right. I've seen very large groups fed, the, for grain I mean, fed where all the horses would be fed kind of close to the gate. And it was complete chaos. Ugh, I can imagine. Complete chaos, stress. You wouldn't know who ate what. Um, and that's certainly something that is totally undesirable. I've seen grooms struggling with horses saying, no, 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 that's not your ration. Again, something you don't want. In the boarding place where I'm at right now, they have an interesting management solution that's working very well. Some of the horses, of course, they are eating in their own box, so that's easy. They get the horses at mealtime, they put them in their box, and they give them their, um, their, uh, man- their, their ration. But the ones who are exterior boarders, instead of having the big chaos outside, they bring the horses inside, uh, they tie them in the aisle, and they each have a little manger. And so you have in, in the aisle all these horses who are eating their ration. And that works very well too. It takes just a few minutes, they're in and then they're out, and it works well. Of course, it, it means that these horses have good basic leading manners because they could pull you 
once they know where they're going to be eating, they could pull the handler, but you know, most of them, they have very good ground manners. And so it's, it's a good management solution. Now, my question is, when, when a clicker trainer has to get their horse from the paddock, whether it's, for, it's because it's feeding time or it's training time or whatever, my experience has been that my three horses, they are very eager to work with me. They all want to be the chosen one. And so the minute I step foot in the paddock, they all converge to me. And it hasn't been, for me, uh, an experience that it hasn't felt harmonious or well-organized because I haven't gone through a training process to teach them who's going to be the first one and don't bully the other one if you're not the chosen one because that's not going to work. I haven't done that yet. I've kind of avoided it by having other people get my horses <laughs> for me. But I want now, I would like to develop a strategy to be able to go in my horse's paddock and have it well organized so that if I'm getting Woody, the other two are not going to come and bully him because he's the last of the hierarchy. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. I read Jane Jackson's September blog, which I thought was very, very interesting. Uh, I think it's called Eager Learner. I can't remember the rest of it, but what I have really in my mind is the illustration of her blog. She has this little sign that says, open for business. What she was trying to address was the fact that her horse, when she was doing the chores in the barn, he was always wanting to interact with her because that's what our clicker horses do. They always want to interact with, with us. Right? When you're a conventional trainer and you go in your horse paddock, you don't have a problem because the horses will ignore you and they are certainly not going to fight amongst themselves to be the one chosen to go for a training session. You know, So we have that extra challenge that our horses are so eager that they, they all want to be the first one you choose. So what Jane explains in her blogs is that she wanted to signal to her horse whether she was open for business or not. And when I'm open for business, come, we'll go for the training session. And if I'm not open for business, just, you know, stay with your pal and eat your hay because nothing's going to happen. And so she taught her horse that with um, she had uh, she had some, I think she used a yellow sign because she had used yellow targeting with her horse and he knew yellow, and she says horses recognize blue and yellow easily. And so she used this sign and when she would go up to the gate, she would put the sign and the horse would know that when the sign was there, she was going to take him for training. And if she would go to the door and the sign was not there, she might give a little scratch, a little bit of tactile attention, but that would be it. She would go away and, and it took three days, she says, in her blog for the horse. So this, this relates to Jesus talking about 
for learning to occur, there has to be a change in the environment. Right. But so now what I'm thinking is, can I have something, can I extrapolate something like that and have a sign that will tell this horse, this is your sign, it's your time, and this horse is another color or another whatever. And so to have a way to go in my horse's paddock and have it organized so I can go get one and the others won't come and try to be the one. So I was wondering if you had strategies like this that you develop. How does it work when well, you get your horse? So I will say, first of all, I only have one naive clicker animal. And when I say naive, that's probably not the right word, but all of the others, six of them, all had traditional handling before I started clicker training them. And Rosie the mule is the only one who has really basically known a positive reinforcement life her entire life. So before Rosie came along, I didn't really, all my horses wanted to be chosen, but they also, I think, uh, first of all, I think for the, I will call them the underdogs, they just knew better than to stand up close because Reuben and Scout are pretty much, they get whatever they want. And That's everybody right, else. but if you want to get the underdog. So if I, but, but Reuben and Scout also had enough traditional training that if I walked in and just walked past them and put a halter on another horse, they would just sort of step back and let me go ahead and take the other horse out. Okay. But, so here's, here's where I see the difference between your situation and Jane's is that Jane was dealing with one horse who he was, he was, he didn't have to say choose me because the others were all out on pasture. Exactly. Or they were out eating their hay and they, if Jane went and wanted one of them, she could get them. It was just no problem, yeah. but they were not the eager beavers yeah. like Percy. So now I have Rosie, who is pretty sure she's the most special creature in the universe. And I don't want to go in and, you know, hit her in the face and chase her back and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So what I did with Rosie, just actually so I could get through the gate, <laughs> was I, I tied a blue scarf down at the end of the gate where the hinges are, okay. where it swings. And I taught her to station next to that blue scarf. And she has learned to go, if I come toward the gate, she'll come over by me and I'll stand there and wait. And then she'll kind of put her ears back like a sullen child and go down and stand next to her scarf. Now it's tricky for me because I have not done a lot of training on this. I, I kind of have a rule that I do not give anybody treats while I'm in or food, just pellets, you know, mm. while I'm inside the field with them. 
Right. So I will go and reinforce her on the outside of the gate. I'll feed her through there. And then mm -hmm. I will go inside and I will get the horse I need to get. And when I get back outside, I'll reinforce her again. Another strategy that I have used at times, and some of it depends on where I'm working on this, and especially depends a lot on the conditions, like if the paddock is muddy or and if I have time and I'm really organized, I will take a scoop of hay pellets down and there will be feed tubs on the ground, black, little black rubber, you know, yeah. gamel feed tubs. And I will go around and I will sprinkle some hay pellets in those feed tubs. And there may be three, four, five, whatever. That keeps the, the big cheeses <laughs> busy and yeah. they, They'll go and eat those pellets, and I can just go over and get Porter. I can go over and get Grace and lead them out. Yeah. So um, in the dog world, it's basically a kibble scatter. Yeah. It's right? A, it's a good management. Toss a handful of kibble and let the dog go clean it up while you do something so that the dog is distracted. And and, and I honestly use that a lot mm -hmm. um, because – I'm in the situation you are where all of my animals are like, pick me, pick me. That's right. And so. Um, and I'm alone because if, you know, I had a helper, I'm sure I could have them, the three of them stationed and we would reinforce the other two while the one is coming out. But I have to find a training or management solution where I'm alone. Right. Jane and I have this this running joke about staff because, you know, <laughs> Ken Ramirez will, you know, will do these wonderful presentations at Expo. And here we taught this dog to count and we taught this dog to copy and we did this. And then you realize there were 14 trainers in the room. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Like, well, certainly oh, wow. to, tra to train multiple animals, if you have multiple trainers, it's it's much more simple. The challenge is when you have three animals and you have only your two arms. I know one thing I had before in, in, in the previous barn where I was, I, we, we made like, um, uh, how would you say that? You know, in dog parks where they have like an entrance with two, uh, uh, two fences. So you go in, an you close airlock. this fence. A what? An airlock, essentially. We call yeah. it an airlock. Yeah. Okay. So I had that at the other place. I had that put up for me. And it helped because it was easy to have one horse come into the airlock. And then, you know, you didn't have as much things to do. Open the gate. Make sure the other horses were staying at their place, not bullying this one. And mm -hmm. so it helped. It was a good management solution. Also. So one of, one of the things that I worked on, a lot in the early days when Robin was little because Robin is very uh, can be very fierce and he's another one of these horses that who takes what he wants uh, you know in the nicest possible way because he doesn't he doesn't have to become aggressive or nasty he just exudes this presence. He just has to flick, <laughs> just flick an ear yes yes and and the other horses all knew that it was not safe to go ahead of Robin through a gate that yeah. Robin would nail them. And so that was unacceptable. 
because there were times where I wanted to take one of the other horses out. That's right. And Robin was still in the field. So I worked quite a lot on teaching him to do things such as to back up away from the gate. So he had great backing behavior and he would get reinforced a lot for backing up, not because I'm actively cueing or swinging a lead rope at his face or doing any of those other standard issue, traditional conventional things, but my going towards the gate with one of the other horses was the cue for him to back away from the gate. He got clicked and reinforced for that. He got uh, clicked and reinforced then for staying back. And what it did is it built up a lot of confidence in the horses that I was then taking through the gate that it felt safe to them to go through the gate. And so they were not rushing through because that was something else that I don't like is the yep. horse that rushes through and and might even pull away from me because they're in such a hurry to get through the gate away from the other horses who are bullying them. So by teaching Robin to back up and to stay back and, and letting him feel really good about that because he got reinforced a lot for it. That I ended so you up... practice this without first the horse? Just No. Well, this was a behavior that backing was a strong behavior for him. Yeah. So in other aspects of his world, uh, he was reinforced a lot for backing. I mean, this is the horse that, and I think I've told this story on the podcast, where the mothers that'll help her, when I'm getting the shavings from the back of the arena where they were stored, and I clicked and reinforced weight shifts back. And within a few days, I had a horse who was backing 60 feet. So literally, because he was backing the width of the arena, and then he would take the corner and keep going. And then when I would walk the wheelbarrow back down the length of the arena, he would swing around so that I was walking forward, and he's backing with me the length of the arena. Not because I was saying, Robin, you must back next to the you must turn around and back and go backwards as as we go back to the barn. But that was his choice, and I just reinforced it. So, in other aspects of his life, he was reinforced a lot for backing. Backing was a premium behavior, and that's why I say when we're teaching the foundation lessons, and backing is one of the foundation lessons. And I say, you know, yet. Because in there, there in some styles of training, backing is used as a punisher. That's a correction. Yeah, yeah, didn't stop fast enough. I'm now going to make you back. You know, forty feet. Uh, take that, you, you, you know, for not stopping as fast as I want. It's like, oh, oh, don't do that because we want. I want my horses to love to back up because it's such an important and valuable uh, behavior. So, for Robin to back up away from the gate was an easy behavior for him to start offering. Well, I'll just say, and I think it, that is, it's very elegant and all of my horses have been reinforced quite a bit for backing. And, and that's actually, I think, how I can maneuver around them sometimes when I need to because, and I'll back them, I won't reinforce them because full disclosure, I guess, I, I do not have any great solutions, training solutions to all of this. 
and it's one a lot of it's one thing to train of- one horse it's one thing i mean i have a great deal of empathy for you Dominique, I've got seven, okay, six and a half, because Sammy the donkey is pretty small. But I've got three draft crosses who are almost 600 kilos, and or one might be over 600 kilos. And then I've got the two thoroughbreds, and I've got the donkey, and I've got the mule who keeps growing. And so for me, and I have, I have two different Alex knows I have two different gate locations depending on kind of what the horses have access to you have really difficult fencing at that time and I have difficult fencing so we'll just leave it at that so I have not pursued training solutions like yeah it would be cool if I taught them all to station on mats but if it's muddy the mats are sunk in the mud and if we're at if if they're at one gate and all the mats are over at the other gate I don't have my mats and I have seven animals plus we have livestock and I have limited training time and so I have not managed to and I don't a lot of this does you know the solution becomes a management solution and then sometimes as in the case with Robin by dealing with the one horse it solved the problem for all the horses because I had one really powerful being and the others were perfectly, you know, they were, they had reasonable manners. They weren't, they weren't based on their history, their personality, et cetera, et cetera. They were never going to be an issue around a gate. So I was lucky in that. Right, it's by managing, He's the one who is yeah. the issue. So focus right. on him. And so yeah, for me, for me, Mine are Reuben and Scout and Rosie the Mule because they're all very big. They're all very assertive. And the advantage with Reuben and Scout is that they have a little more training in them and things. So I can go get someone else and I can just kind of walk up. And and once I have another horse in a halter and a lead rope, they will kind of go, oh, okay, it's not me. Hmm. Rosie is still working on accepting that. So that's sure why I taught mean. her <laughs> the blue that, scarf. That's yeah. why I taught her the blue scarf. So hmm. even if you just taught Bonanza to go target something hmm. and, and, and it's having it at the hinge end of the gate, Rosie goes and, and lines up she goes over and she ends up lining herself up next to the gate and I open the gate so that she needs to step over, but she can still stay by her scarf. And see, that's my point is that it's sometimes it's not that you have to train all however many number of horses you have, all seven, we had five, you know, you don't have to train all of them to the same level or the same repertoire. I had to, I had to train Robin for this one behavior because Robin was my linchpin. Yes. Mm-hmm. By t- teaching Rosie to go stay on the scarf, you solve a huge amount of I need to get through this gate. So it's is there one horse that if you could just get that horse pellets out of a bowl backing up you know whatever it is that everything else would kind of settle down and -hmm. think about this by tossing the pellets in the bowl you are eliminating the punishing effect of him being left behind 
right? These are our, these are our clicker trained horses who don't want the session to end and they don't want to be left behind. They don't want to miss out on the session. Mm -hmm. So you are giving him something. It's like Ken says, the animal that's sitting there waiting quietly is mm -hmm. the one that's doing the harder job when you're working multiple animals. Yeah. So you have to reinforce the ones. So you're not, you're not training, it, you know, actively training, but you're letting him know you're, I know you don't get to be the one who got chosen for this session Bonanza, but here's a handful of pellets for you in a bowl. And so that when I take Pico out or I take Woody out, it's not a punishing experience for you. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. And so I, I actually feel really good about it when I am organized enough to, to go down and just put the pellets down for everybody because then they don't see it as they're missing out. You know, later they might, but at that moment it isn't, it isn't, Oh, she chose her. It's mm -hmm. just, okay, you know, everybody's eating their pellets and now I can go get grace and we can go out in peace and calm. Yeah, and it would be kind of interesting to say, well, what would happen if I wore a blue vest when I'm going for Pico and a striped vest when I'm going for Bonanza and a vest with polka dots on it when I'm going for Woody? Well, you know, I was surprised to see that it took her only three days and that the horse got it so quickly. Oh, she, said she, she said she didn't use something on her because of the weather. You know, yeah. in the winter, she'd have to cover herself up. And that's yeah. why she decided to use the sign. But, um, and what I like with, about with Percy, this... I'm not surprised at all that it took oh, yeah. got it so yeah. quickly. Yeah. yeah, and it's just the one. Because so. here you have more extinction involved because there are like three different signs for three different horses but at the same time I would imagine that the extinction frustration is pretty low if all you're doing is putting your sign up and going to the gate when the right horse comes for the right sign I'm assuming the frustration is not too high in the paddock. Well but again what if you eliminate that by going and tossing and, and having two bowls out there so that the other two get some pellets while you take out the one that you that you are going to win. Animals are really good at figuring out routines. Oh, patterns. So if, they love know, patterns. They love patterns. So if you always... Work... And I always do usually, and that's part of my problem, because inside, it's always Woody first, Bonanza second, and Pico third. But when they're outside, if I want to do Woody first, Bonanza objects. Well, and I will tell you, I, my rule, if when I bring, so I bring my horses into, we have actually a nice barn, but they don't live in the barn. Um, I think they're much happier not living in the barn. But because I've got these horses that have to get medication, and I really want to be sure that they get their medication and they get the correct dose of medication, I try not to feed them you know, in a group. So get their, you know, their, I call it their bucket of goodies. It's not a full bucket, but they get their stuff with their minerals and their, if they have medication. And so when I go to bring them in, I bring them in, in the order that they, uh, in their order of precedence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I bring in Reuben or Scout first, mm -hmm. or sometimes Rosie, and 
then I get then at once those three are in their places, then I bring in Burley because he's he used to be the big cheese. But, you know, when you get to be 28 and your hind legs don't work as well as they used to, you, you yeah. have to step down from, yeah. from your throne. Yeah. So uh, then I bring in Burley. And, oh, if Porter says, I'm going to push up to the gate, Burley says, oh, no, you won't. <laughs> so I take Burley and then I take Grace. Then I take Porter. I could probably take Porter, but Grace gets upset so it's just not worth it and then I take Sammy the donkey so I observe their respective relationships I'm not mm -hmm. going to say hierarchy because I hate that term but I observe their respective relationships and their order of precedence in situations where there is a resource that matters mm -hmm. now when I'm you know going to train I'm not going to bring in Reuben and train him and because I don't have time to train all seven of them. So I will go out and I will might if if they come to the gate, then I will go out and scatter hay pellets and say, here you guys have some hay pellets and I'm going to take Porter in and do a little something with it. But him. the hay pellets, they don't last very long. You better They be don't have to last very long. Yeah. <laughs> well, they really don't. Yeah, I mean and 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 what happens so I put them so I have about four bowls. So I'll put some in each bowl. Mm -hmm. And they spend a certain amount of time going from bowl to bowl to bowl to see if whatever was in a bowl is better. Mm, yeah. So they. It, bottom line is it, it gets me enough time. Mm -hmm. And I think it reduces that frustration mm -hmm. because they, they may not be getting a training session, but they're getting something. Mm-hmm. And so even if they're finishing up and I haven't gotten all the way out, they don't tend to come and bother me and bother mm -hmm. the animal that the horse that I am catching and taking out. Mm -hmm. So, and I think it just, it's, it's a non-training way. It's a management solution, but it starts to produce a behavior change. I think sometimes management. Reliable. Right. Management and training go hand in hand. So I'm thinking now of the goats. So there are five goats. They're now all living together, which makes the gate really interesting. So I have the two older ones and then the three babies from this this year's breeding. And it makes the gate really interesting. If I only want one, it basically means that if when I open the gate, Wren comes scooting out because she's gotten really good at scooting out and she loves her training session. And then the next one, if I open the gate, who will be out will be Elian because he's he is the tough one of the, the herd. And But if I want to bring out one of the others, it's much more of a challenge. And if I want to get them back in, and not have somebody else scooting out when I go out of the gate. It's a bit of a challenge. So I'm now working on this. It's a it's very much a work in progress. So what I would love to have is five goats each going to their station, standing politely and waiting quietly on the station. I call one, it comes, we go out, I see play. You know, I would love that. We have the same dreams. Right. I don't, I don't have that. But 
what I know is I can't get there unless I do some management. So when I am ready to move goats around or to, or to set things up so that I can get out of their pen, I tie Elian and Peleus. They're the two older goats. And in order for me to work the three babies, I need to tie the two older goats so that I have time because otherwise they will be chasing them off. And remember, these are animals with horns. So they will be chasing off the, the youngsters and creating a certain amount of anxiety for the youngsters because they're trying to focus on me, but also they've got to watch every second to see whether they are uh, in danger of being charged by the two older goats. So I just, I just take that out of the equation. Uh, and for some very peculiar reason, both Elian and Peleus are absolutely delighted to come and have their collars put on and for me to tie them to um, the side of their enclosure. And they're, they're both by hay, they're very happy. I go train the other three. We're working on stationing right now so that, that they each stay on a station while I turn my back and work with one of the others. And now I turn to you and give you a click and a treat. And now I turn back to you and I give you a click and a treat and you're all staying on your station. And then I drop some pellets, which do not last long with goats. They are even faster than Labradors at inhaling food. <laughs> it is oh, extraordinary. Man. I, Cindy, it's just, I thought, I thought a Labrador could inhale food like, it's just, but a goat had can, no competition, but no goats no. Are faster. <laughs> goats are even faster. And yes. they have horns. And they have horns. That's right. So, you know, it, but this, so this is a work in progress and I'm not depending solely upon my ability to to click and treat an animal for staying on a mat because what I'm recognizing are is that there are a lot of social dynamics that are uh, coming into play that interfere with what I'm trying to create. Exactly. Well, so, they just make the train. They they make the training more complicated, yes. and it you know if all I wanted to do was train everybody to stand on a mat, that'd be great. But I would like to do something else I mean they stand on mats but not in right. that context right and and I don't it just I run out of time and so I I am and truthfully it in our old place in Carmel Valley which Alex will remember when I had horses turned out together and I needed to bring them in and I would lead them in one at a time for many reasons um, I would halter them and tie them each to a post and they did okay with that they were fine with that they knew that but that's not an option with the kind of fencing I have we have T posts I don't have a safe reliable place to tie the horses so that I can take somebody else out and so and what I have found of course this is the advantage of them having the round bale with the slow feeder net over it is that once I've gotten the chosen one out once they've cleaned up the pellets they'll either go work on the round bale or they'll go wander off in the sun 
Yes. You know, or they'll go off and go, okay, it's not my turn. I'm going to have a drink. So they, they get over it really fast. Or they'll go splash in your water tank. Yeah. Scout <laughs> yeah. and Grace go splash the water out of the tank. But they get over it really fast. It's not like there's this enormous psychic damage to the fact that, that I've taken someone else. But I think that, that tossing the pellets, it does sort of cushion the blow and it gives them something else to focus on. And then I can... Yeah, because, you know, um, and Alex knows this, but um, I was once um, a witness to a very experienced trainer in a paddock between two very normal horses, um, but she was in there with food and she got knocked down. Oh. And ever since then, I've always been very self-conscious whenever I'm uh, in the middle of a herd, a clicker-trained mm -hmm. herd that food doesn't have to be it does not have to be clicker trained or not clicker trained i i've known people who've gone in with hay into a herd of horses that had never been clicker trained and it was not a i a think that's situation. more dangerous yeah well, i don't know because my horses they know I distribute food. I mean, they, they know that I have food on me and maybe I shouldn't go with the, with the pouch when I go in the, um, and it's, I have to say too, it's sometimes, you know, cause you were saying uh, before um, Cindy that you gave no treats inside. Yeah. And, and that's something to think about, you know, because, and then maybe once you've created it, it's like gambling, you know, Maybe she does. Maybe she doesn't. <laughs> well, maybe she's going to give them out this time and maybe she's not. And so that's kind of my rule is, is I might have I might have my vest on. I might have uh, my waist pouch on whatever I'm using at that time. But nothing gets handed out. Mm -hmm. and inside. Inside the field when there's multiples there. Now, mm -hmm. if, if, if they're all off grazing and Rosie sees me, and Rosie always comes over, or if nobody else is looking, and Sammy comes over, because Sammy's the guy that has to make sure nobody else is looking, because he's the little guy. So you're not systematic about it. <laughs> I am systematic, because when there's multiple horses there, nobody gets treats. Mm -hmm. But if they're there alone with me, and nobody else is there, I might do a little bit. I might have them target or whatever. But I like to have my treats it's hard my, not to resist when your horse comes to you so hard to resist. It's not hard with Rosie because she always comes. So it's, it's pretty reliable. No, but, but it's hard to resist not yeah. having them do a little something to deserve. Well, you know, I do. I do. I do. I will do scratches and I find mm. their scritchy spots. And so when I'm in there and we're in a crowd, like Ruben has, is always a little scratch itchy on the lower side of his neck and down where his neck meets his his chest. And so I'll go in and, and he'll look at me and I'll, I know, I'm sorry. And I'll scratch him and he'll, he'll put his head up and wiggle his lip and things. And then he's sort of like, okay, it's not going to be my turn. Okay, fine. But I like to have my, my treats on me so that once we come out, like with Rosie, mm -hmm. I'm still reinforcing her for when we go through the gate and we need to turn back so I can close the gate and secure it. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a, a, that's a lesson I have to work on a lot with her. I have to reinforce that a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, that's something I always reinforce is that 
her choice to go ahead and turn back with me to the gate. And then I may ask her to back up or whatever. And especially if it's grass season with Scout and Reuben, I have to keep a very high rate of reinforcement when we're walking across the grassy area over to the barn mm -hmm. in the arena so mm -hmm. that they aren't going to just say, oh, I'm going to take Cindy skiing <laughs> and tow her around while I graze because, you know, they're 600 kilos. They can take me anywhere they want to take me if they choose to. And so I keep a really high rate of reinforcement to keep them you know, to reinforce them for walking along with their head up and next to me on mm. the way to the, um, to the barn. So I don't want to just leave my, my, your, your my, my reinforcement, you know, uh, back at the barn because there's mm. all these opportunities to be reinforcing behaviors that I want to become great habits on the way to the, um, to the barn. But I don't, I will not hand them out when there are multiple horses gathered at the gate because yeah, it, it's that's that's it's a recipe just, for disaster. It's just unless it, there's been a lot of training involved with many helpers and the big staff. Well, yeah, I mean, it, I, it probably, but it, I guess I'm, maybe people could say I'm a lazy trainer, but I that's just not. It's not, and the truth is, my husband doesn't clicker train. And he handles them too. So yeah, but if, it may be easier for him because he doesn't click a train. They so don't have that expectation. No, they don't actually, expect him to give food. Actually, whereas when we go, they say, "Ooh, it's her." <laughs> it's worse because he gives them random treats. Oh, okay. Non-contingent. So yeah, but yeah. it's okay. It works out. I mean, they know they they know the difference in the situations. They've figured out the changes in the environment that predict that he's going to hand them treats and when he's going in to get uh, thinks, to get a horse and he leave may them, think so. he's random but maybe they've discovered they probably have <laughs> they they have found they have they found his formula they've found what he does with the environment that that tells them what to expect so it works out but it is i do have a great deal of empathy for you my only hints are address the one who gets the most upset and and creates the difficult situation address his needs yeah whether it's that you take place. him first well his or needs or like something yeah or or um you know in the case what you're doing uh alex in a way you've kind of taking the bullies out of the equation by yes. tying them yes. and giving them hay at because at a certain where they are tied so they're kind of it buys me breathing room so that I can do the, so that I can do the training. Yeah. Because I can't, I can't do a good job with five simultaneously. That there has to be some form of management. If it were a dog, I might put a couple of them in an X pen, you know, that, that kind of thing. But there has to be, for this situation, the way that their quarters are set up, the way the gate works, I need to do... Uh, some form of management that reduces the numbers and and this this is a workable solution mm -hmm. and uh, so well that, really you're just giving them you're just saying I'm going to give all of you access to a valuable resource yep. it's not the same they're not all getting the same right one of them's getting access right. to you 
because you're the valuable resource, but the others are getting something else. And even if it's just some pellets scattered in a bowl, or if you're in a position to take, you know, a flake of hay and split it between the two you leave behind, that's not an option for me because we only have round bales. So, right. uh, but, but the bottom line is you're addressing that, uh, some need that they have and and you're not leaving them hanging and and you're buying yourself breathing room all in, and it can build into a habit that's right a total aside but our dog every when she was young every time we would leave the house i would throw a kibble scatter back into the house or out into the yard so she didn't view our departure as some deprivation it was a predictor of something pretty good and the side effect of that is she never charges the door mm -hmm. because she just got in the habit of going and cleaning up and so now she just she's never charged the door so she mm -hmm. just waits there quietly and she knows you know we're going to put her harness on and her leash and then we're going to take her out and and it's just built into a habit and so that predictability i think helps but just realizing that we don't want to leave any of them hanging so yes we're not giving them a full training session at that moment but we are giving them something that they value so they're not feeling deprived and we're not just letting it be chaos right because what i had with the goats was chaos and it was unsatisfactory so it needed to change so i'm making some changes i'm doing some training that will add a little bit more order to the the process of moving the goats around and bringing one in and bringing one out on the days when we're all going out for a walk it's not a problem but now that we have two feet of snow on the ground we're not going for our long walks to the field anymore because the goats think snow is disgusting oh um, do they Yes, they do. Oh. It's just ridiculous. Why do you come in cashmere jackets if, right. you think, if you think winter is so disgusting? But they, 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 they just, oh, this is just horrible. So that, that's buying me time. And then the other thing with the horses is, you know, that things settle and evolve and the training accumulates over time. So yes. I had Robin who was fierce as houses and who was the the horse that went through the gate first and if you tried to go through a gate ahead of him it felt unsafe from the horse from the other horse's point of view to now i have robin this lovely dear horse who lives in a situation in which they're free to move up and down the barn aisle it's there are other horses there it's not unsafe that there's all there's always food and hay and uh, you know I open the the door to the stall where we keep the hay bales and and I walk in and out and I've got the hay nets and there are three horses in the barn aisle and it's not it's not a dangerous or foolish thing to be doing there are some situations I've been in visiting herds where somebody has said oh let's go out and visit with the horses and it's like oh 
I think I'll just watch the horses from this side of the fence. Thank you very much. But what has evolved over time is the horses are secure with one another. They are secure in the relationships that they have worked out with one another. They have learned that they don't have to drive one of the other horses away in order to get attention and food from me. In fact, one of the best ways to get attention and goodies from me is by being really mannerly, what we would call mannerly and polite towards the other horses. Affiliative. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, that's the solution. That's the, the training protocol for dogs who resource guard yep. is that you change it around so that the presence of these other individuals, whether it's a human near their food bowl or another dog near their favored thing, predicts better stuff Mm-hmm. and abundance rather than a threat or it's not a predictor of loss or deprivation it's it's a predictor of abundance and something even better and and that's what you and and that gives i will say i think that our horses that defer to the bigger cheeses i do feel that they trust me to look out for them once I've gone in the group and put a halter on them because they generally, I can see them, you know, sometimes I'll feel them move and I'll be like, what are you moving? And I'm like, oh, Scout is looming behind us. (laughs) And I'll turn and I'll say, Scout, now come on, you know, and I'll, I'll ask her to back up a step or something and I'll just scratch her. And then I'll move and she'll be like, oh, okay. And then I'll go ahead and, you know, take Grace out. And you can see Grace go, oh, okay, that's right. You took care of Scout. It's good. And so, you know, is it is it 100%? No. But I do try to keep that in mind and realize that what my goal is to make the one I'm handling feel safe and to make the others feel that they're not being deprived. And for me, I think, where did these behaviors come from? How was it trained? And it wasn't so much, there were, t- there were parts of it that were very deliberately trained and other parts that evolved. And the training of it began way back in the boarding barn where the horses would be in their stalls. The horse I, was, I would be working with would be out in the barn aisle being groomed, et cetera, et cetera. And this learning to take turns and to share really began in that environment. And then it blossomed, really blossomed in the new environment. And one of the really huge advantages, I think, in terms of really making a big difference in having horses that share well was the pose. When you think of the pose, you know, that lovely where they they arch their neck and it ripples all the way through their spine and they look like they're this beautiful dressage horse that has an upper level performance rider on their backs and they've just they're they're lifting their back, they're beautifully engaged, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We we normally think of that in terms of balance and performance and and we're not thinking of it necessarily in having two horses standing near me and it's social and it's comfortable and it's safe. But when a horse is lifting up into the pose and Robin has 
a really strong pose. He, he offers this behavior a lot, and it's been reinforced a lot throughout his life. So when he poses, his nose goes towards his chest. So instead of reaching out away from his body, his nose moves in towards his chest. It's the exact opposite of the threat movement, exactly. the threat movement exactly. pattern that a horse uses, where that the neck goes out, the head Bingo. goes out, the throat latches way open, yep. the nose starts to come up with the teeth open and the ears pin back. And it's the exact opposite. Exactly. So I have so when I had Peregrine and Robin, and they're both two horses posing on either side of me, and their noses are moving out of my space because they're posing, and they're moving away from one another because they're posing. It just, ah, uh, peace is descending. Right. So for right. That, but where would they be exactly when you were doing this, in each in their own one would be on, in a box and one, no, in, one would be on my right side and the other would be on my left side. Oh, you they, would have both horses with you. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm not there yet. Yeah. That's okay. That's, that's why I say it evolves over time. So this was not, we didn't suddenly go from three horses that I met yesterday to three horses. Three in the arena together. Right. But the training last, one. last winter when we added, so we added a third horse to the, barn last a year ago last fall and she was a horse who I think I've talked about her on one of the podcasts but she was a horse who had been on her own for years mm. years um, probably at least 10 or more years she had been a single horse and she'd had a little bit of training but not a lot of training she'd had a terrible injury as a yearling she went through a fence and sliced a hind leg down to the bone and just horrible horrible injury so she's always been a pasture horse pasture sound you'd never was never trained to ride so her repertoire is was small uh compared to a lot of horses and when she came to the barn she spent the, the winter in her own apartment so she was she could see the other horses they could talk to one another over a fence but they were not together and she did not have the same barn aisle privileges that the other horses had and through the winter we taught her the foundation lessons we really emphasized them so she learned about mats she learned about head lowering she learned about backing she uh, and and she was already a, a pleasant mare to be around, but we just really emphasized these key foundation lessons, so that in the spring, when the grass was green and it uh, that was a perfect time to open the gate and introduce her to the other to the other horses and let her go out with them, because the grass just. You know, they, 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 they just put their heads down and eat instead of getting into trouble with one another. And at that point, the barn was then opened to her as well. So her manners, her moving around when, for example, when you need 
her to zig to the left so you can move the wheelbarrow past her. She's not as good at that as the other horses. There's some places where she's a little bit sticky yet. She's not as good as, as the other horses. But because we spent that time that winter putting in the skills that she would need in order to be integrated into the lifestyle that the other horses get to enjoy, she's been able to have that lifestyle. So it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not an instant thing, but it evolves in that direction as you just nudge, you just nudge the behavior in the direction that you want it to go. So I have one last question because you guys gave me lots of very good tips. One, one option, of course, would be to train the horses in the arena with railing in between so they're protected from each other. Of course, you need to be an octopus and have many <laughs> hands and arms. Or, and that's my question, if you had a treat dispenser, distance treat dispenser like a pet tutor or something we use with the dogs, have any of you used that with the horses to allow you to reward one while the other one, you're working with the other one? Reward have, the one that is just staying there calmly? I never have. Um, I, I haven't gotten anything like that. What, what I will do is set up, set up a clear expectation about how reinforcement will be delivered. So it might be I'm going to put your treat in this feed bowl. I'm not going to go over and give it to you by hand. So every time I, so I, I had one of the horses in the barn aisle the other day in the cross ties and I was, I was going to, you know, pick out feet and I was going to see if I needed to do any touch up on the feet and the rest of them were in the barn. They'd eaten their, little bucket of stuff and their stall doors were open and they were all looking out over their stall guards and Rosie was nearby so of course she was you know sure she should be the star of the show and so every time I clicked the horse that I was doing the feet I would you know set I would click set down her foot I would feed that horse and then I would walk over and feed Rosie in I would open her the door in that leads to where her feed bin is in the stall mm -hmm. and I would drop her treats in there. So she very quickly learned that was where she was going to get any treats and mm -hmm. she was going to get treats. I would click the horse that I was interacting with. I would feed that horse a treat and I would give her. So about the fourth time I did it, well, I finished the fourth foot and I clicked. She was already there. She was headed over to the bowl mm -hmm. and waiting. And that was away. That took her away from me and away from the other horse and out of the open doorway over mm -hmm. to that. And she headed over there as soon as she heard me click right. for that hind foot. So I think they can pick up those expectations quickly. And another example I haven't done a lot of it lately, but I used to ride one horse and lead another horse quite a bit. It was one way that I could keep, get the horses fit enough. And I had one horse that didn't like to go out on the trails alone. And I did most of my conditioning on the trails because there were good hills. 
And so it was just easier to ride him and lead someone else. Mm -hmm. And then he had a friend and then he was perfectly happy to go all over the place. So, and I also used it to help a friend who had a horse that was very afraid of water. And we had to go through the Carmel River to get to our trails. So I rode my horse, one of our horses, and I led him. And we did it very gradually and systematically, but we got up to the edge of the river and I never forced him, I never dragged him, I never made him go. I literally would wait and he would, you know, shift his weight and take a step and I would click. Well, when I'm riding a horse and leading another horse and I want to click, I have a rule that I will feed the horse that I'm riding on the side away from the horse I am leading. Mm -hmm. So the horse I'm riding knows he's going to get his treat off to that side, usually the left. Mm. And then the horse that I'm leading, I have to feed in the middle. Right. But the horse that I'm riding learns not to expect to get a treat on the right hand side mm -hmm. because I'm always feeding him. I feed him first and I feed him on the left. So he's gotten his treat, and then I feed the horse that I'm leading. And I've always had that work out. They figure it out really, really quickly. I'm just sort of quiet, methodical. It's, it's like that when, you know, Alex teaches us to present the food so, toward the horse's shoulder so they back to get their treat. Mm -hmm. It's like that. It's just very calm, very matter-of-fact. Just this is where the perfect horse will be fed. And they pick up on it very quickly if I'm sort of quiet and just systematic about it. So I'm, I'm sort of my own weird pet tutor. Yeah, no, you're teaching them, you know, what the procedure is going to be, what right. the reinforcement procedure is going to be. And yeah, it, it, makes, it makes sense. I think the bottom, the bottom line in all of this is that routine is your ally. Mm-hmm. You know, that the more you can create a, a consistent routine yeah. that the horses learn, then the more that can work for you. And you have to be aware that you have that routine. There's nothing like the day that somebody comes and wants to, you know, see who knows what, something with the goats. And I decide, oh, let me show you Peleus. Well, Peleus is the maybe the fourth one that I normally would take out, but now I'm taking him out first. I can completely mess up everything hmm. for that day if I've if I've set the kind that if I've been so routine that there's no flexibility built into it. But that you know, for the most part, it's not a problem. Routine is your ally. Uh, let it work for you, particularly now when you have this situation where you've got the three horses, you want to be able to get them in and out of the gate. So create a predictable routine that can help you. And if that means that you wear a, a pink vest for Bonanza and a blue hat for Pico or whatever, and that that's part <laughs> of uh, the cues that tell them this is the change in the environment that means it's your turn. You know, who knows? That may be a great asset to you. And the you you put in put into the training the repertoire that you need for the 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 environment that you have to work with. So what works for Cindy because of her setup her horses, the personality of her horses, 
the number of horses she has, the kind of fencing she has, etc., etc., might be perfect in her environment, might not be what you need for yours. So in your environment, uh, you may have to come up with a slightly different strategy or somebody listening to this may have to come up with a slightly different strategy. The idea is not to try and copy exactly what we're describing, but to take the principles and then stand back and say, okay, so what will work for me in my herd with the constraints that I have because I'm in a boarding barn or I have this kind of fencing or it's winter and it's icy out or, you know, whatever it is that the principles will get you to an answer. Work and, with the flow that you have. Yep. Don't fight it. Don't try to swim upstream. But also, and, and what I always keep in mind is, and thanks to Professor Rosales for, you know, bringing all this to our attention. When I'm looking at a situation, I first I go, all right, what is going to be the reinforcement procedure that's going to help this, that's going to support this, right? So if I, if I come up with a reinforcement procedure that's gonna, not going to help or it's going to be really challenging to accomplish, uh, it's not going to do me any good. So, and, and, and spend a little, like I'm thinking about Dominique when you said you might work with them in the arena with a fence between them. Mm -hmm. Before I started to actually train one horse or the other, I would probably spend time, I would probably put out, you know, a food bowl and yeah. I would spend time and I would walk over to, so say you were going to do it with Bonanza and Woody, mm -hmm. I would probably, and you were going to have Bonanza wait, I would put out a food bowl and I would just literally walk over and dump a reinforcer or a couple reinforcers in his food bowl. And then I would walk over and I would feed Woody a pellet and I would probably do it at the opposite like away not right by the the fence that separates them I would do them apart and then I would walk back to Bonanza and put a little food in and then I would walk back to Woody and give him some reinforce just give him some treats walk back and forth till they start to go oh okay she's gonna go back and forth between us and I get a treat and he gets a treat and then and think of it till you have a clean loop of just you going and giving Bonanza something, you going and giving Woody something. And then you can go, here's your treat, Bonanza. I'm gonna go over, Woody, can you target? Click treat, good. And then you go back and you give Bonanza something. And then you can say, Woody, can you target again? Click treat, and then Bonanza gets something. And then you say, okay, now can I have Woody target, or can I have Woody back up three steps? Click and treat go give Bonanza something. Then can I have Woody back up a little bit longer? And he gets his click and treat and then Bonanza gets his. So you're slowly building in Bonanza's waiting behavior, mm -hmm. right? It starts out as just, he gets a treat, Woody gets a treat, he gets a treat, Woody gets a treat. And then it starts to become, he gets a treat, there's a little bit of a delay because you're going to do something more with Woody and then he gets his treat and he doesn't get that whole frustration because it's just like when we, you know, click and then we promptly but steadily go to our tr treat pouch. They know it's coming. Yeah. He knows you've clicked Woody. You've given Woody a treat. 
he's going to get his next. Mm -hmm. So if you think of it just as it's a loop, but it happens to involve reinforcing both of them, yeah. then you can then you can start to expand it and he doesn't you you prevent him from going into all of that extinction frustration that we all worry about so much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's how I would probably tackle it just in, you know, imagining in my head if I was there with you and we were going, how should we work on this so that yeah. you can do it when you don't have two people there? Guys, you've given me a lot of very interesting avenues to explore. You've asked so. some wonderful questions. You always ask great questions in the <laughs> podcast. I love listening because you ask the questions that everybody, that I have and that everybody else has. So, well, so helpful. Thank you. And, and Cindy, you have, you have shared just an immense, immense amount with us today. And we are really, really, really appreciative of that. So thank you for this. My and pleasure. <laughs> Dominique, I also have to say I was thrilled to get to see the picture, picture of Pico. <laughs> this sucks. He's very handsome. <laughs> He's a flashy guy. He is. You know, all the horses think so. Every time he walks by a horse... Another horse, they're all like mesmerized by him. Oh, so that's like funny. A, he's a great horse, yeah. That's so I, I really hope, I really hope I'm successful with this transition because it's something I really want for him. Just be patient and 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 be be open to variations. That's all I can tell you. I mean, I could tell you a lot more, but that's what I would say. I would encourage you is don't give up be patient and um you know stay in touch with your your resources yeah so i'm glad that, i have the resource because you know it makes a difference that that was one of page Poss's main advice you know to, to surround yourself um with a good team and i'm glad i i did because you know this morning or yesterday i we we started testing taking the boots off Mm -hmm. in the back good there was snow the footing was perfect and yesterday when i went to the barn he was all chipped in the back and i don't worry about chips i was don't like oh my chips. god what have we done we shouldn't we tested too no soon. chips are a non-issue i was freaking out and so i sent a photo to miriam and she said don't worry don't freak out it's all normal Everything that's be, um, beneath the nail holes will chip like this and yep. not. So she really, you know, reassured me. And I'm glad I had the resource because and, I and would have freaked out. That's a perfect example of, of the traditional approach creating, a, a giving us a different normal. Do you know what I mean? So like anybody who comes up with the traditional, oh my God, my horse's hooves are chipping. We have to stop. It's like, no, actually it, it's all good. And sometimes you have to say, you know, trust us, trust the process. It'll be fine. And, and then as you get more accustomed to it, you're just like, oh, people go, oh my God, my horse is chipping. It's like, oh, don't worry about it. That's fine. Actually, that's a good sign. And they're like, really? Yes. Because you, you develop, you know, a new adjusted normal about, about things like chips, because chips are just, they're, they're, they're useful information. Good way to see it. They're, they're, they're useful. <laughs> I can tell you, I put the boots back on. Okay. Well, I want, I want the hoof to grow a little bit more. 
anyway, until they're they're coming this week to look at him. So there you go. You know, You'll be yeah. fine. Yeah, you'll well, be fine. But, but I, I was worried there for a second. I understand. <laughs> I understand. And and to to me in general, hind feet are much less worrisome than front feet. But yeah, that's what everybody says. But I want to make sure that I keep looking at my horse as you know the individual that he is, and that sure. I'm I'm not. Of course. Um, yeah. So, but so that's far, it, it seems like we're we're okay. So I'm good. happy. Good. <laughs> good. Excellent. Well, on that note, I think we should definitely say thank you to both of you, and and we'll um, we'll call it a wrap. So thank you immensely, Cindy, and Dominique. We'll be talking soon. Bye. 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 I hope you got some good ideas for your own horses as well. Just a reminder: it's always great fun to get together with other clicker trainers. I give two clinics at Cindy's Farm near Fayetteville, Arkansas, one in April and the other in October. The clinics are three very full days, plus we always start the evening before with introductions. You don't have to bring a horse to get a lot from these clinics. In fact, if you've never been to one of my clinics before, people often find that it is much better attending the first time without the distraction of having your own horse with you. So take a look at the event schedule in my website, theclickercenter.com. My 2020 schedule is posted there for both clinics and conferences. Hopefully I'll see you at one of these events. I'm about to head off to the Clicker Expo. If you're attending that event, do please say hello. It's always good to meet listeners to this podcast. Also, do please check out my new podcast, Horses for Future. Horse people can make a difference in the climate change crisis. Together, we're learning how. I recently invited Dr. Michaela Hempen for a discussion of her cribbing project. What has cribbing got to do with climate change? It turns out quite a lot. You can listen to the Horses for Future podcast at sequestercarbon.com. Dot com, or subscribe to it through your favorite podcast provider. And next time, here in the Equosity Podcast, we'll have a new conversation series for you. So have fun with your horses, and Happy New Year, everyone.